Not sure what to make for dinner? Need some inspiration? Mondays and Wednesdays, join Gabriel and his food hero guests on The Dinner Special. And now, here's your host, Gabriel So. Welcome to The Dinner Special. I am Gabriel So, and I am so pumped to have Jennifer Yu of Use Real Butter joining me today. In her past life, Jen was a NASA programmer, and today she is a freelance nature, food, portrait, and event photographer living and enjoying the outdoors in the Colorado Rockies. Her blog, Use Real Butter, is more of a directive for life and less about her cooking and baking, though food is an integral part of her blog and her life. Thank you so much for being here today, Jen. Thank you so much for having me, Gabriel. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jen. Now, you started blogging in 2004 and moved all of your food-related content in 2007 to what is Use Real Butter. What was it about blogging that drew you in over a decade ago? The first time I started blogging in 2004, I just began a live journal blog, and it seemed that I had about a handful of friends who had live journal blogs. So we just blogged personal stuff and commented on each other's blog. It was like, I don't know, a dozen people at most. And it was very informal, it was pretty private, and we were just goofing around. And the reason I started was because my sister had passed away in a car accident just earlier that year. And so I felt it was a good space for me to just kind of get my feelings out and try and work it out in words. It was kind of like a little bit of therapy for me to get through that difficult period. And then I noticed over time, I started posting a lot of photos of my food. And so I would put dinner pictures on there. Or if we went out to eat for a snack, I'd have a shave ice on there. And after a while, I noticed there was a group called the Daring Bakers, which now is a huge, huge group. They're the Daring Bakers and the Daring Cooks. I think they comprise the Daring Kitchen now. But back then, they were 80 strong when I joined. It was just 80 people, and they would have a recipe designated to make for the next month, and everyone would make it and blog it on a given day. And we went around supporting one another and seeing how everybody had a different interpretation of the recipe, as well as sort of just a really nice community of people who liked to bake, people who enjoyed cooking, people who wanted to expand their skills. So that's why I decided to break off Use Real Butter because I wanted to be a part of that group, but I didn't want all my baggage in with the recipes. Gotcha. Well, as you mentioned, you know, you share a lot about yourself on your blog, you know, more than just food, like how you manage 23 days of telemark skiing during chemotherapy. And now, especially with your new pup, was this challenging at the beginning or were you always quite open about your life? Well, actually, at the start, because the blog was a personal blog, it was all personal. All of my baggage was in there. And as I became more public, I think I've kind of reined in what I'm sharing. So it seems like I share a lot now, but actually, I don't, I don't share that much compared to what I used to. And it's mostly because the more reach the blog has achieved, the more I'm kind of holding back because you get some odd readers who, I mean, there are some people, most of them are really well-intentioned and they just want to be your friend and they want to get to know you. And then others are a little less so. And so I kind of withdrew a little bit to protect not only myself, but also the people that 
I care about. But still, a lot of my friends know, like, oh, if you have dinner with Jen or if you go out to lunch with Jen, you're going to show up on the internet. So <laughs> Noted. <laughs> so watch out if we go have lunch together. Right. Or if you're Jen's puppy. That's right. That's right. Well, food is clearly featured on your blog. Did you always have a passion for food and cooking? Yes. I think since I was a little kid, I really enjoyed... It's odd, but I liked washing fruit and cutting it up. <laughs> and then I used to try and sell it out of my bedroom to my family members as they passed by in the hall, which was kind of odd because if you think about it, my parents bought the fruit and then they'd have to buy it again <laughs> from me. But I guess I added that extra service of cleaning and cutting the fruit. So my grandmother lived with us from pretty much when I was an infant until about when I was nine years old. And she is my mother's mother, and she cooked so many wonderful things. She was a fantastic cook. Both of my parents are fantastic cooks. So when we got together to cook Sunday dinner, I was always there watching, and it was kind of like this big family affair, and they would make Chinese dumplings, and it was just kind of a regular thing every Sunday, and I really enjoyed it, and I think that had a big influence on me. You know, when they were cooking in the kitchen, were you more of an observer or were you actively participating? Well, I think I was kind of an observer. I was also a little bit of a troublemaker because, you know, when you're little, you're kind of hyper. And so you can't sit still and you got to move around and do things. So my grandmother, she was so wonderful and so sweet. She would never yell at me. She would give me a little piece of dough and say, here, why don't you work with this? I'm like, all right, I'm, that's my job. I'm going to work with this. And it would keep me out of their way while they could actually get dinner going. But yeah, I just love being around them, being around the food, seeing how it was prepared. And then eventually, as I got older, I started dabbling a little myself. So would you say that your learning to cook was more through experimentation than through, you know, maybe cooking school or like cookbooks? I'd say it's a little bit of both. Or actually, it's a lot of bit of both. When I was growing up, I would cook very simple things and I would experiment with baking because nobody in my family baked. So I can't tell you how many batches of meringues I have tanked, how many cookies have come out rock hard. But I learned all that when I was little <laughs> and in my parents' kitchen. Then when I went away to college, there were nights when our dorm didn't provide food or food plans. It was on the weekends they didn't provide meals. And so the undergraduates were left to fend for themselves. And I thought, oh, I'm going to make X, Y, and Z that mom and dad made at home. Well, I could never remember what it was that went into the recipes. I didn't have recipes, so I just call them up and say, Mom, how do you make this? And, you know, Chinese parents, actually, any, I think anyone beyond a certain generation, they don't do recipes. They're just like off the top of their head. Oh, a little bit of soy sauce. How much is a little bit? I don't know, you know, a little bit. And that's how I kind of got my feet wet with Chinese cooking. And then it kind of became my way of connecting back to my family and my cultural heritage, which I kind of rejected for a long time as a little kid. Growing up in the South, I was like, oh, I don't want to be Chinese. You know, I want to be white because all my friends are white. And being Chinese, you're different, you stand out, you get made fun of. And then I think when I became a teenager, I was like, screw that. I like being Chinese. I'm proud of who I am and I'm just going to roll with it. So college was an extension of that, especially with the cooking. Right. Now, You've been blogging for over a decade. Where do you find the inspiration and continue coming up with interesting and fun things to cook? 
that's hard sometimes. <laughs> it can be really difficult. There have been periods for the past, I'd say, three or four years when I will be shooting a recipe and I'll think, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> but it's brief. You know, that's the passing thing. And usually, I'd say, you think you're going to run out of recipes to blog? I mean, because even now I'm sitting here thinking, what could I blog, you know, next? And what ends up happening is I go to parties or friends' houses for dinner or we go out to a restaurant. I'm exposed to new recipes and I think, this is great. I want to share it with my readers on the blog. Or I'll just come up with something that I think would be great, you know, to share with people on the blog, that sort of thing. So about five years ago, I thought to myself, you're going to run out of recipes and user butter is going to shut down. But what actually happened was it just kind of naturally leaked in like all these little recipes and influences and tastes and flavors. And so it's just kind of going on its own. I kind of have the attitude if the blog just kind of peters out, I'm just going to let it peter out. I'm not going to struggle to make it keep going if it doesn't feel right. So as long as it feels okay, then we're going to still go with it. Awesome. Well, are there any food blogs that you loved when you first started that you still follow today? Absolutely. I think Smitten Kitchen, Deb Perlman's blog was one of my early favorites. And it's still one of my favorites because her recipes are just really solid and reliable. I guess I feel that I like her taste as well. I think that makes a big difference. There are some bloggers they have gorgeous blogs or whatever, but their style of food is just not my style. So yeah, Deb of Smitten Kitchen, White on Rice Couple, that's Todd and Diane. We started out kind of around the same time and we were kind of blog buddies and then we met in person and we've been good friends ever since. They have a great blog. I love their recipes, but even more, they're very dear friends of mine. Well, Jen, beyond food and food blogging, you have a PhD in geology from Cornell, and you used to work as a NASA programmer. When did photography come into the picture? So photography has always been a hobby of mine ever since I was about 10 or 11 years old. I just grabbed my dad's old equipment and started futzing around because kids are bored. They have so much spare time. I don't, you know, we don't have that spare time anymore as adults. But it was always a hobby. And then when I met my husband, Jeremy, when we were undergraduates in college, he started introducing me to hiking and backpacking and rock climbing and just getting outside a lot. And the mountains in California, the Sierra Nevada, are particularly stunning. And we'd go out there during wildflower season, and I would just photograph all of these wildflowers. And it was still a hobby. But when you're shooting film... It's a very different learning curve because, first of all, you have to buy the film, then you have to develop the film. And so every picture you take is like, okay, this one better count. And I'd say my learning curve was pretty slow in comparison to digital today. So when I switched to digital in 2004, my photography skills kind of took off and I was able to take more pictures and get the feedback right away and see, oh, that's a crappy shot or oh, you know what, you might want to improve that, you know, point of view there. And so I think right around when I switched to digital, things began to kind of come together for me. And I discovered that I truly love photography. And it was less of a, oh, this is expensive. Oh, it's so painful, you know. And now it's more like, oh, I can really see how I'm learning in real time. 
And was this sort of, I guess, the kind of time where you decided to really fully commit to photography? Right. So I decided to switch over to photography in 2007, and that was shortly after I got a cancer diagnosis. And what happened was I got a breast cancer diagnosis in November of 2007, and I didn't know at the time whether I was going to live for much longer or what. So with all that uncertainty, I turned to my husband and I said, you know, I don't think I want to do science for the rest of my life. If not, the rest of my life is like one year, two years, five years, ten years. I don't know what it is, but I think if your time is short, it really makes you reassess what your priorities are. So... Thinking in those terms, I said, yeah, I think I can leave science and I think I'd like to pursue something else. And so photography was this kind of temporary thing I wanted to try out for a year. And my treatments took up most of the next year. And so I didn't get to do very much photography. But I did blog a lot because I was at home since I you know, was immunocompromised. And I couldn't go out very often. So blogging kind of fit in naturally there. But the photography took off afterward with the blog and also just the more I was able to get out into the backcountry and photograph nature. Now, have there been times when you're on a photo assignment or experimenting in the kitchen and things just don't go as planned and you wish you were back maybe doing some science? (laughs) Well, so the first part of the question, things don't go as planned, that happens a lot. (laughs) That happens more than most people would probably think. But do I wish that I were back in science? No, I don't. I really don't. That's something I was happy to move on from. My husband, he remained in science. He's in astrophysics. And I really felt that we didn't both need to be in academia. So it's kind of a nice balance, I think, to have us doing different things. I keep track of what's going on in his career. And he will sometimes ask me, you know, well, there's a graduate student. This is what the student wants to do. You know, how should I advise? And I'll give my take on it, especially if it's a female student, because I think it's good for male faculty to be more sensitive to female students. And he's particularly good about that. But yeah, I don't miss it at all. I actually like what I do. And I think that's good because it's what I chose. You know, it would be terrible if you say, I choose to do this. And then you're like, this sucks. So I chose to do this. I'm really happy with it. I think I like managing my time. I work more hours as a freelancer than I do or than I did working, you know, nine to five in a science desk job. But it's worth it to me. I like the freedom. Well, yeah, I mean, I think if you're enjoying what you're doing, also the time passes a lot quicker and you don't realize that you're spending as much time as you are. Right. Until you look at the clock and you're like, Where did the day go? (laughs) Exactly. Well, Jen, you live in the Colorado Rockies and call Boulder your home base. Can you share what the food culture is like there? It's a pretty hip scene, I'd say. I mean, I think when we moved to Boulder, the first thing we noticed was kind of the sticker shock. Food is a little more expensive in Boulder than it is in where we were, which was Pasadena, so Los Angeles, uh, the L.A. basin area. You know, food in L.A. is like, it's so inexpensive and it's so, so good. But Boulder is a little different. The food is really excellent, but you're going to pay a little more than you would at, let's say, in San Francisco or in L.A. That said, there's definitely a dedication to local, seasonal, you know, farmed food, local farmers. They 
have a lot of great restaurants that focus on, I'd say, modern cuisine, farm-to-table cuisine, with European and some Asian fusion influences. That said, like their Chinese food in general isn't that great. They have lots of sushi bars, which is terrific. And there's quite a bit of Vietnamese in the Denver area. But yeah, other than that, I'm kind of missing a lot of the Asian that I used to get in LA. Right. But, you know, I mean, I guess that's how, you know, you've become such an awesome Asian cook. (laughs) Because I couldn't get it elsewhere. I had to learn to make it myself. It's true. It's true. Yeah. My grandmother was living when she was alive. She was in San Jose. And so I would go out to visit her several times a year. And every time we went out to visit, she would take us out to some Chinese restaurant that she had found. It just opened or it's been open for a while just down the street. And the food is just fantastic. And we would always kind of get the latest and greatest from the Bay Area, you know, Chinese cuisine. I come home and think, oh, I'm craving this, but there's nowhere for me to get it. And so I have to figure out how to make it myself or look up the recipes. Right. Now, is there a dish or type of food that locals in Colorado love that visitors may not know about? I don't think there's like a signature dish that off the top of my head that comes to mind, but Colorado lamb in general is phenomenal. I was not a huge fan of lamb before I came to Colorado, and I felt that it tasted a little too, I don't know if gamey is the word, but that's what comes to mind. It was just the flavor was a little too strong for me. But when I tried Colorado lamb, it is sublime. Really, it's mellower flavor, but it's fantastic. And a lot of the, like I said, Boulder restaurants are dedicated to sourcing their food locally. And so you get Colorado ranchers providing their lamb, and it's fantastic. It actually Diane Koo had a similar experience when she and Todd came out. We were doing a workshop together in Boulder, and I took them to dinner at Frasca. One of the courses was lamb. And so she immediately was like, I don't like lamb. So she picked up all of her lamb and put it on Todd's plate. And he tasted it and he said, no, no, it's really good. You got to taste it. So she took a taste and then she picked up the lamp that she had put on his plate and put it back on her plate. And that's how I feel about Colorado lamb. It's that good. Wow, awesome. It converts people. Yes. (laughs) Well, here at the dinner special, we talk with food heroes about dinner dishes that are special to them and how we can make it at home. Can you talk about a dish that is special to you and maybe a little bit about the story behind the dish? It would definitely have to be pot stickers. I think that's the dish that kind of got me going on the whole cooking for myself, cooking Chinese, tying to my culture, even blogging. Like it's one of my most popular recipes on the blog to this day. And it was done like almost 10 years ago. So pot stickers are the dish that, or not pot stickers necessarily, Chinese dumplings. It's the dish that my grandmother and my parents would make every Sunday. And so I'd sit there watching them. My father would roll out the dough and my mom would be making the filling and my grandmother and mom would sit there and fill the little dumplings and then fold them up nicely. And so that's kind of my childhood memory. And that ties me to my parents, my grandmother, the dumplings, which are awesome. <laughs> and so that's what I tried to make when I was in college for Chinese New Year. I was like, oh, I'm going to celebrate Chinese New Year. You know, you always have these ideas and then you go, you move forward with the plan and then you realize it's a lot more complicated than you imagined. So the first time I made Chinese dumplings, it took me like six hours to do it. It was a long time and 
I didn't have a good knife or good chopping. But eventually, it just became something that I loved to make because it reminded me so much of my grandmother and my parents and just growing up as a kid. I had a pretty happy childhood. I think because I was just a goofball, you know, sitting there watching everybody. I was just a happy little, I was the youngest and, you know, things were good. So that kind of brings me back to that period. Now, moving ahead, you look and see there are a lot of people who want to make dumplings, but they don't know how. And I don't think it's that difficult. It's just there are a lot of steps to it. And so putting it step by step on the blog to show people how to do it kind of takes the fear and intimidation out of it and enables people to actually go and make it themselves. And then, of course, it's such a versatile recipe. You can put whatever filling you want in it. And if you're gluten-free, you know, these days, of course, if you're gluten-free, you can find either substitute flour or you can try other kinds of rice flour or different styles of you know wrappings for the dumplings so that recipe has a lot of legs and I think it's because it's so good I mean there are a lot of cultures that have this theme of wonderful dough with wonderful filling fried oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) how can you go wrong with that exactly so that's just the chinese version of it and it's my favorite and i found that a lot of people you know with a good set of instructions can do it i mean it doesn't have to be beautiful it just has to taste good Absolutely. <laughs> well, let's say that you were to make these dumplings and you could share it with three famous people. Who would you share them with? Okay, well, so here's my freebie. Bill Clinton would be my first choice, but he's vegan. And I'm not going to change the recipe for him. So he gets the boot, but he would have been on the list. Probably Barack Obama is one. Let me see. Harold McGee, who is a food and science writer. He wrote one of the first books I ever read on about cooking, and it's on the science of cooking, which I found fascinating. And he's also a Caltech alum, so he's, you know, from my alma mater. <laughs> and then the third person would probably be Andrew Berg, who is a musician, and I've just always wanted to, actually, I've just wanted to bake cookies for him, but dumplings will do, too. <laughs> Great. Well, let's say that you were doing dinner and a movie. What movie would you pair with your dumplings? My instinct was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, because I love action and adventure movies. And that one is beautiful. It's beautifully done. But then I was thinking, oh, you know, if you really like to emote a lot during your meal, you could watch like Joy Luck Club, that sort of thing. But I really lean toward Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, because, you know, the main character in the movie, her name is Jen Yu. (laughs) Which is pretty cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there you go. And I think the Joyla Club might be a little bit too intense, too. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a lot of crying and screaming. But that's so typical, you know, Chinese soap opera sort of thing. And But yeah, that's not my scene. Especially with Barack there. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, you mean we would watch the movie with the three famous people? Yeah, why not? Okay, then, yeah, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Awesome. Well, I call the next part of the Dinner Special Podcast the pressure cooker. I'm going to ask you seven fast and fun questions that we want to know your answers to. Are you up for it? All right. Okay, number one, which food shows or cooking shows do you watch? I don't. We don't get television, so I don't watch TV, which is probably why I can actually do things in my life because I don't spend a lot of time watching TV. (laughs) That's fine. Number two, what are some food blogs or food websites we have to know about? Well, I would say Smitten Kitchen certainly is one of them. 
Leet's Culinaria, David Leet's blog is fantastic. Simply Recipes by Elise Bauer and crew. That is one of my go-tos. When I have any question about a recipe that I just need to know off the top of my head, I'll search her blog first. And then David Leibovitz, because he's awesome and he's hilarious at the same time. Number three, who do you follow on Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube that make you happy? I don't do Pinterest just because it's a matter of time management. I just cannot get into Pinterest. And on Instagram, I have to say one of my favorite people to follow is food pornographer, my friend Kelly Klein. She's a food photographer and food stylist in the Pacific Northwest. And everything she posts is absolutely stunning and creative and beautiful. And it just makes you want to eat and to cook and just get in there and experiment. Great. Number four. What is the most unusual or treasured item you have in your kitchen? I don't actually know what kind of odd things I have. I guess the only one is the dowel that I use for rolling dumplings. Most of the rolling pins you find in stores are the French style, like the tapered ones, or they have like the handles on them. But the simple Chinese dowel is just a straight cylinder. And that's what I use for rolling dumpling skins. And it works best for me. Number five, name one ingredient you used to dislike that you now love. Cilantro. Cilantro. When I was little, my parents put it in everything. And I was like, why? You're ruining this dish. And I just, you know, they put it in the soup. And I'm like, I can't eat the soup now or whatever. And now I love it. I put it in guacamole. I put it in my pho. I put it in, you know, Chinese dishes. It's great. Number six, what are a few cookbooks that make your life better? I would have to say the one that I reference the most is probably The Baking Bible by Rose Levy Berenbaum. And there's this old Chinese cookbook that my mom's, it was like a godmother put together in the 1960s or something. It's this tiny little thing and I don't think it's widely published, but we have a copy of it. And it's just these traditional Chinese recipes, like home style Chinese recipes and I've blogged a few of them but I go to that one quite often. Great. Number seven, what song or album just makes you want to cook? Okay, I thought about this and I was like, I don't think there are any songs or albums that make me want to cook but when I cook, I like to have music on. The White Stripes are one of my favorite bands and so any of their albums or anything by Jack White gets me pretty pumped and happy in the kitchen. Fantastic. Well, congratulations, Jen. You have officially survived the pressure cooker. Thanks. (laughs) Jen, thank you so much for joining me here on the Dinner Special Podcast. Now, you're on social media. What's the best way for us to keep up with what you're up to? Well, if you want to follow what's going on with the dog, follow me on Instagram at genuphoto. Otherwise, I would say the blog itself is probably the best. I'm just getting really bad about keeping up with social media these days because I think I've realized that I'd rather spend my time living my life than just constantly writing about it. (laughs) Right. And of course, the blog is userealbutter.com. Yes. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Jen, for taking the time to chat with me. I had a good time. I hope you did, too. I did. Thank you so much, Gabriel. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening. Head over to thedinnerspecial.com for recipes, highlights from every show, super blog articles, and all the wonderful ways to keep in touch on social media. Your culinary journey awaits, so let's get cooking. <laughs>